Woody, why am I alive? <gasps> you are a toy. You belong to Bonnie. These are your friends. Oh, Woody, I have a question. Um, well, actually, not just one. I have all the questions. Hello and welcome to the Matt's Movie Reviews Podcast. I'm your host, Matthew Pekovich, and this is episode number 221. Well, we have crossed the midway point of 2019, and already this year there's been some cinematic gems to go along with more than a fair deal of duds. While the summer box office season has been underwhelming, quite a number of films have already emerged to be in contention for the best and worst movies of 2019. Joining me now to talk about these movies and also which films could have potential come Oscars next year is film critic, movie analyst and one of the busiest guys I know, Mr. Shane A. Bassett. Shane, I thank you very much for joining me again on a podcast. It's been too long, sir. It has been. It's an absolute pleasure, as always, to be talking to you again. And uh, it has been too long, but 221 podcasts, mate, that is great. You're quite as busy as I am, I'd say. I think when I last spoke to you, we were on number 192. Uh, so I had a good almost 30 uh, podcast episodes <laughs> since then. Um, wow. Well, good for you, mate. You're doing something right, and I, I love being part of your show. Oh, thank you very much. I love you guesting once again so we can delve into the best and worst of 2019 so far. So how about we just dive into it? I suggest we first start with the good news. Let's talk about our picks for the best movie. So how about you go first to pick a film, then I'll pick a film. If there's any crossover... We'll just jump in and talk about it. So you go ahead, Shane. What was one of your picks for the best movies of 2019 so far? Well, I'll go with one that I only saw a few weeks ago, and that's Toy Story 4. Oh, that was my first pick as well. <laughs> because I don't know what your view is on it, but I really wasn't sure where else they would be able to go after Toy Story 3. It, it just seemed to me as a perfect round cap on a trilogy. And then the trailers, the two that I saw, I don't know if there was more, but I saw two trailers, and it, they did nothing for me. So I went into it thinking, oh, you know, it would be great to revisit the characters, but I, I'm not expecting much. Little did I know, I, I came out at the end of it thinking it's almost a perfect movie. Mm. Absolutely loved it. Uh, definitely I've picked it first to talk about because it is easily on the top of my list of the year so far. I love Toy Story 4 as well. It's interesting how you talked about Toy Story 3, because for a lot of people, including myself, it seemed like the perfect bookend uh, of that series of films. But it, it occurred to me as I was watching um, Toy Story 4, which was directed by um, Josh Cooley, that the first three films was very much Andy's story. It was That was his arc in, the, in the, the, how the toys kind of reacted to him. Um, number four is about the toys. It's Woody's story, especially. And Woody is a character, to, to me, I think out of the whole kind of history of Pixar, the Pixar brand, he's like the most endearing character within that whole Pixar brand. He's good, like that old, good-mannered cowboy with loyalty and courage and, and friendship by his side. And Tom Hanks just does, has done just such a great job uh, bringing uh, that character to life then. And to me, this is a movie that's very much about Woody and the other toys. Um, it's a, them starting a new journey. And look, as like the other films, you have great adventure, you have emotional stakes, it's great animation. And what I found really great about this movie as well was the new additions as well. So every film, there's like a few new characters. Like here you have Forky, 
uh, played by Tony Hale, who's awesome from uh, Arrested Development. Keanu yeah. Reeves continues his great work as the Canadian stuntman uh, Duke Kaboom. Uh, Key and Peele um, played the roles of Ducky and Bonnie. And look, I, I took my son to watch this movie with me um, at the at the cinema, and he absolutely loved it. And it is one of those great things that Pixar does, where they can make films that really resonate both with kids and adults. And I think, in my opinion, number four is just as good, if not better, than the ones that came beforehand. And I think it's really uh, 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 says much about where Pixar are at as a, a filmmakers and is about a great that tell great stories that have emotional stakes uh, to them because without that depth I don't think it really these movies work so at the end of the film I sure was weeping up quite a bit and uh, look I think it's just terrific and if they go ahead with a number five I think I'm going to approach it with a little less uh, uh, skepticism because like you I wasn't sure what four would bring but uh, by the end of number four I was very satisfied uh, for sure and Toy Story 2 has always been my favourite. Me too. I, I don't know why. It's the one that I've always said, you know, if I had to pick one, that'd be it. Mm-hmm. But uh, 4 has passed that. I, uh, and I wasn't sure because the trailers were like, it looked like a road trip. Forky didn't really uh, appeal to me and I couldn't work out if there's actually going to be a character that developed. And, of course, people who have seen it will know that Forky does develop. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, yeah, it, it loved it. Matt could not believe it when it finished i'm thinking what have i just watched it was it was really a five out of five star movie for me yeah it's a a terrific movie um and it really was a surprise and we shouldn't be surprised should we man pixar do deliver i mean i know lately um some of their films haven't been up to par with their earlier classic stuff but this i don't like cars one two or three yeah cars is definitely one of those kind of outlier uh, movies from them but uh toy story 4 Yes, look, my favourite is number two as well, and that's still in my top, but number four comes straight behind it. I think it's just a terrific movie and just really well done. Um, okay, so we both have Toy Story 4 in our picks. I'm going to go with uh, one uh, pick here, uh, a movie called Hotel Mumbai. Now, this was released earlier in the year, directed by Anthony Maris. He's an Aussie director, and this is a true story of the 2008 uh, Mumbai attacks at the Taj Hotel, where 174 people were uh, slaughtered by... Muslim extremists. Now, when you have a story like that, this film is suitably very uncomfortable. It can be distressing to watch. Um, but I think it's a film that also shows that how from such horror and such tragedy that a humanity um, that is courageous and really inspirational really comes from that. And I think this great cast uh, that we have here, uh, led by Dev Patel and Army Hammer, uh, Jason Isaacs is in it as well. Um, they really do a great job in um, giving life to these people um, who some of them gave their lives in the face of uh, terror um, in a very kind of kind of depressing, really tragic kind of twist to the whole thing. Um, the movie wasn't seen by many people in Australia. It was actually um, taken off screens in New Zealand because as the film was about to come out, I think it was like the day before that, the uh, Christchurch uh, mosque terror attacks um, happened. Unfortunate so, timing. Very unfortunate timing. So a lot of people, I think, didn't get a chance to watch it or if it was available to them at the movies, it wasn't really a film they would have been in the mood to watch, which is totally understandable considering the um, the the tone of, of, of our region at the time. But it's now out on Blu-ray, and I can really recommend 
for people to watch this film. Um, as I said, it, it can be very distressing. Um, this is a movie that deals with the slaughter of uh, many innocent uh, people at the hands of fanatics. But as I said, there's a, a counter to that, um, which I found was really courageous and inspirational, um, really well made, well performed, and um, one of my favourite films of the year so far. Yeah, no, I I know what you mean. Uh, I I don't like it as much as you, but when I say I don't like it, I found it a little disturbing. And I know I've you know I've seen documentaries and I've seen you know different things about it before. So this movie, movie itself, especially the acting from Dev Patel, mm. uh, pretty outstanding stuff. And the quality of the film, uh, the cinematography was good, and the tension and how we saw the story told from all those multiple different characters. Uh, so I did like it, but I, I I don't think of it as highly as you. It's not on my list, but I, I do agree it was a good film. It's not one that I think I'm going to be able to watch again anytime soon, though. No, films like that, it is hard for a rewatch. Even like there's just certain movies that deal with real life tragic circumstances, like say a Schindler's List or movies like that. That first time you watched it was enough yeah. to watch it, um, and it has an impact on you. Because um, those films resonate really deep, um, but the themes in it and some of the scenes can just be really, uh, they're not really um, uh, popcorn watching fodder uh, to want to watch again. So I totally understand where you're coming from there. Um, what's next on your list, Shane? Uh, next on my list is one that I don't think a lot of people saw. Uh, I really enjoyed it and sort of ended up watching it twice. There's a film called Greta. Okay. By Neil Jordan. Did you see that? I did not. That's the one with uh, Chloe Moretz. Yeah, Chloe Moretz. And uh, she, well, basically, it's a stalker film. Now, Isabella Huppert is uh, the lonely Greta of the title. And, like, it seems like a, a case of lost and found. Um, Chloe's character finds a handbag on a train, finds out who owns it and takes it back to the house to, uh, you know, to deliver it. And then they end up striking a friendship. Now, Chloe's a, a young woman. Isabel is a, a, an older woman. And, you know, it, it starts off just like a, a friendship sort of surrogate mother kind of at first. But then things get very, very... Uh, extreme and she ends up being a nasty stalker and i'll leave it at that because it goes to places i wasn't quite expecting and uh, neil jordan who of course has made many movies but the crying game in particular one of my favorites uh, interview with a vampire mm. so he's, he's pretty good at that kind of um eerie tense kind of thrill thriller and that's that was what this was and it just went under the radar but greta is a movie that is in my top five of the year so far anyway that's awesome. I, I do have that on Blu-ray. Universal sent it to me. I'm going to get a chance to watch it, but I'm definitely going to put it on the list now. Um, yeah, I'm a fan of Neil Jordan as well. I think his last one of his last movies I watched from him um, was Byzantium, which is like this um, vampire movie. With, um, oh, I've seen that. Yeah, that so, was Saoirse Ronan. Saoirse Ronan and uh, Gemma Arterton. Sam Riley was in yeah. there as well. I really like that film. He does really really good work with taking kind of like those elements and making good thrillers but kind of like unconventional kind of thrillers as well so does does this film kind of like have certain like a certain unconventional kind of air to it as well yeah uh, that's a really good word it's unconventional because it starts off uh quite calm and collected and and uh maker munro she is the roommate of chloe's character she's the actress from that movie it follows yes yes who's I just don't understand why she hasn't done more movies because she's so good. But she has a small role in this too. And uh, I mean, 
yeah, it, it's unconventional. It's a little bit uh, gory and uh, gross at times because, honestly, she's unhinged. Mm-hmm. The, the character of Greta Isabel Huppert uh, is unhinged. That's all I'll say because there are a few surprises in it. I don't want to uh, ruin. And Isabel Huppert is really good at playing characters like that. She's a legend. Me. Been yeah. around forever. I remember watching French movies that she was in when I was a kid, and she's just she's a wonderful actress. Yeah, I remember like, watching uh, the, the a French. Judy Dench or right. Helen Mirren or something very very similar in the movies that she picks a big variety. That's right. You got Oscar nominated. I think it was a couple of years ago for what was the movie called? Oh, was it Els? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, uh, yeah. I'm pretty sure that's what it was called. Now. Okay, excellent. Well, my next pick is going to be on the opposite end of the spectrum from uh, where you're going with Greta, and that is Avengers Endgame. So as we stand right now. It. This is the uh, second biggest film of all time at the box office. Um, it attempted to unsurp Avatar by having a re-release at the cinemas, but uh, while it did make a little extra coin, it didn't get to what James Cameron did with that movie. Um, regardless, um, this movie directed by Anthony and Joe Russo is... I think it was just a really fantastic conclusion to this really kind of epic saga of world building um, that lasted over 21 uh, movies. I don't think back into... I remember vividly back... In 2008, being invited by Paramount Pictures, that's when Paramount actually had the rights to the Marvel films before Disney took it. Um, watching, they did. Yeah, I, I, I bet you they're regretting that right now. Um, watching Iron Man and not really knowing what we're going to expect from uh, these Marvel films. They're just being blown away by that film. And slowly over the how many years now, 11, 12 years, it's slowly been gradually just building and building and building, leading up to this kind of final battle between the forces of good and evil. Of, of course, this movie continues from Avengers Infinity War, where at the end of that film, there was a huge kind of uh, devastating impact upon the, on a, upon the universe. Half of the universe is wiped out. You, this movie begins with uh, the remaining Avengers uh, getting their uh, stuff together. Um, and so our time travel kind of story is put in place. Um, it's really kind of uh, non-stop entertaining throughout. Runs for 181 minutes. Um, but throughout the film, I thought it was really good pacing. You have great visual effects work. The battle, the fight scenes, whether it's a uh, mano a mano or the huge battle scenes, are just terrific. Um, yep. And then you've got the ensemble cast as well. And what I really like about this film is that some of these actors that have been around for such a long time do something different with their roles. You have Chris Hemsworth, who stars as this kind of bloated version of himself, if I can use that word to describe him. Uh, Chris Evans delivers this really kind of melancholy turn. Um, I thought that Jeremy Renner has delivered the best work in the series in his uh, with his character uh, so far in this movie. Then you've got Robert Downey Jr. And as I mentioned before, he was the man at the beginning of this journey. In the way that his character ends his journey, I reckon was just spot on. Uh, really brought a lot of emotional stakes to the film. And um, I just... Look, it's not to me. It's not my favorite Marvel uh, movie. There's been a couple others that I like better than it, but I couldn't think of a better conclusion uh, to it. Um, whether this is going to have any type of impact come awards time, I don't think so. I think what we saw last year, or sorry, earlier this year with Black Panther, is kind of like a one-off. 
Um, who knows though? Like if Avatar could get an Oscar nomination, um, based on a lot of it was based on its impact at the box office. Um, maybe Avengers Endgame could as well. I'm not as confident I am with this film that that could happen that I was previously with Black Panther because Black yeah. Panther had some narrative threads to it that was really kind of resonating with a lot of people, especially uh, in North America. Um, but regardless, it's definitely a great entertaining genre movie definitely shows to how the um, superhero movie has come such a long way to turn into this huge kind of epic thing um, and I just I loved it I saw it twice first time at a screen and the second time I took my wife to see it um, and both times that I watched it um, I I absolutely loved it sometimes you watch these films a second time you might get bored with what's on the screen but that wasn't the case for me um, and I think it was just terrific um, filmmaking and the terrific performances um, and interesting to see what the Russo brothers do post these Marvel films because they really have established themselves as uh, filmmakers who can do genre work which is something considering their background is actual, it was in TV comedy so have that what, what it is um that was my uh, pick. Um, what about yourself, Shane? Avengers Endgame, how did that fare in your best films of 2019? Because I know when it comes to superhero movies, you're not as enthusiastic with them as I am. Yeah, no, I kind of expected you to, to throw it in there. And, and that's quite valid. Don't get me wrong. I, I, like you, I saw it a couple of times. I actually saw it recently when they re-released it with uh, supposed extra footage and, and an extra sort of... Uh, a little documentary and an introduction from uh, the director, but it was actually quite a waste of time. Um, anyone who saw it will hopefully ag- agree with me. Other than a little um, documentary and a, a tribute to Stan Lee, the extras in inverted commas that they did were quite uh, disappointing. And I think, as you say, it might have been just a bit of a, a money grab for extra box office dollars. Uh, that said, the fact that Black Panther got... I know, I know we're not talking Oscar uh, suggestions yet or anything, but the fact that um, Black Panther got that nomination last year wouldn't put it past me that Avengers Endgame might might as well. Um, even some of the individual performances from Robert Downey Jr. and Jeremy Renner, as you say, were pretty solid, pretty solid stuff. So nothing would surprise me when it came to Marvel after Black Panther getting in the mix last year. Um, what's next on your list, Shane? Next on my list is Us. Uh, Jordan Peele's follow-up that he, he made after such a successful Get Out. Uh, it, to me, took me two... I've seen it three times. Now, after the first time, I was a little bit on the fence with it, but I picked up so much more on the second viewing and it affected me so much, the acting... And the setup is so amazing, and there is so much happening in the background or to the side of the screen, and things that are just really articulate. And I've got to say, oh, it's it's amazing film. Really, really enjoyed it, and uh, highly recommend it. I can guarantee that'll be in my top ten for the year already. Last time Jordan Peele released a film, Get Out, um, huge at the box office did really well at the Oscars. He won the Oscar for screenplay. How do you feel it might go in regards to um, getting nominations again? Do you think um, that the film's concept and perhaps, perhaps its delivery is going to go over the heads maybe with some of the older Oscar members? Well, as is the case with many films, there are exceptions such as Get Out and, and Grand Budapest Hotel comes to mind that when a movie is released early in the year, 
they're often forgotten about or brushed under the carpet a bit, you know, when it comes to Oscar time. That said, Lupita Nyong'o yep. was playing not one but two characters here, acting opposite herself. Uh, I don't want to give anything away to people who haven't seen it, but yep. honestly, it, it was an amazing performance. Elizabeth Moss, she had a moment where she screams, but there's no sound coming out. That, to me, is pure 100% acting brilliance among so much other stuff in this movie. But, yeah, it's not the kind of movie that normally gets nominated, but I don't know. I think this is such a high-level, high classy production. With It's just different, too. It's not a remake. It's not a, a sequel. It's not a reboot. And, you know, it's something different. And it, and it took me a while, like I said, uh, not the first time, but the second time I saw it, I really took notice of more things in it and uh, commend it really highly. So Oscar time, I'd love to see it maybe get acknowledged, but I doubt it. In some ways, I, I totally doubt it. My next pick is a animated movie, How to Train Your Dragon, The Hidden World. Now, I saw this film like late last year, like it was really early screening. I think like in Australia, from what I remember, we got it here really early compared to um, the States. Um, I don't know what the reason was behind the marketing. We got it at at least two months earlier from memory. Yeah, at least, maybe even three. Um, I'm pretty sure we had like a February release, maybe they had April, May. Regardless, look, I absolutely love this movie. Um, Unlike um, the Toy Story films, I'm pretty sure that this is a definitive end to the uh the series um and i think it really is a, a satisfying kind of bow on what i think is one of the best um uh, animated cinema trilogies um put to screen um the animation in it is draw dropping the movie the story is excellent um i love the voice work in it as well um written and directed by dean Bloy, who actually did all three movies which is kind of rare like when you look at the toy story films it's always a different um director a different writer um, he has stuck with it all the way through. This is very much his baby, even though it's based on um, like a kid's novels. Um, they're very different to the novels from what I know. I never read the novels myself. Um, but it's, it's an interesting thing, these movies, because the first one uh, was released, I believe, it was through uh, Paramount when DreamWorks was dead, and DreamWorks moved to 20th Century Fox, and now it's with Universal. So we had three different films, three different distributors, but the same writer and director throughout. And I think... It really shows in the maturity of the storytelling and the advancements yeah. in the visual effects as well, the animation effects as well. Um, the second film I liked as well, but I thought it was a little too dark, um, especially uh, as a as a like a family film. Uh, this film really finds that balance between the serious with the uh, adventurous. Um, it's a movie like Toy Story Four, where both adults and children can enjoy it. And just like um, Toy Story Four, it's an emotional ride. I mean, this is a film. It's a, it's something that will, ra- will raise your spirits at the right time. It will make you laugh at the right time, and it will break your heart as well. And it does all three with equal measure. I really thought that this was uh, just a jaw-dropping movie in more days than one. I was incredibly satisfied after I left it. Um, in my opinion, um, where you have Toy Story 4 near the top of your list, this movie's near the top of mine. Um, it really has placed the bar high for a lot of animated films, especially in regards to how it depicts um, flight 
and and water as well. I mean, those the uh, just the advancements that these um, animators have in regards to computer graphics and visual effects now, I think is just mind blowing. Because um, just like as I mentioned before, in regards to watching Iron Man way back, I remember watching the first How to Train Your Dragon way back as well um, when it was with Paramount Pictures and. Yes. And even then, I was just like, wow, that's impressive. And to see it just kind of evolve and mature and become this other kind of thing, uh, I thought it was just, a, it was for me, it was a really great way to start the new cinematic year for 2019. And, and it's still up there uh, with one of the best films of the year, of this year so far. Yeah, it's in my honourable, if I had honourable mentions, it'd, it'd make that. I, I certainly did love it. But I um, I'm, when it comes to animation, there is, it seems like the bar just keeps it getting set higher mm. and higher, and then something else brings it back down again, like Wonder Park. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't seen that one yet. I heard it's pretty bad, though. Yes. <laughs> What's next on your list, Shane? Uh, next one on my list is Under the Silver Lake. Ah, I don't know yeah. if you've heard of that one. I've seen it, yeah. Yeah, it is my kind of movie. It reminded me of uh, a... David Lynch style Mulholland Drive kind of uh, don't know what's going on, what's real, what's not. It's very disenchanted at times, but uh, it drew me in, and it just just really drew me in. And the acting, uh, and the music, and where it goes across uh, some scenes in LA, you know, some uh, locations that I thought were very well used. It's gets more bizarre as the movie goes on, but. Yep. Uh, it also reminded me of a movie called Southland Tales mm. um, that had Dwayne The Rock Johnson in it and was directed by, I think, Richard Kelly is his name, who did Donnie Darko. Yep. So it reminded me of that too. So Under the Silver Lake in Sydney, anyway, where we're recording from, uh, was only released, I believe, in one cinema. Yep. So I went out of my way to go and see it, and I'm very, very glad I did. And Riley Keough, who I've actually highlighted in so many of my movie reviews when she pops up in a movie she's just such a good actress you know she picks these weird smaller roles but uh always impressive yeah and look i like this film as well it's one of those movies i think that you can watch repeatedly and pick up something new every single time and i, I think, can't wait to see it again yeah i know how it ends yeah like me too because I think um, the movie was directed and written by David Robert Mitchell. You mentioned It Follows before, so this is his follow-up to that movie. Um, and the movie stars Andrew Garfield. And it's kind of like you said, um, a bit of like a gumshoe movie, kind of like a like an old-school kind of film noir kind of film, um, but set in modern day. And it's yeah. got like a conspiracy kind of thing to it as well. It talks about codes and messages. Supposedly, um, there's a code within the film that we as an audience have to try to figure out. I'm not going to go that far. I mean, I'm just here to watch the film, not to play games. But, <laughs> excuse me. Um, but, yeah, it's it's a film that really had me all the way. And even its ending, like, when its ending happened, and I don't want to give away too much, it seemed kind of underwhelming. But when, on reflection, a couple of days out afterwards, I kind of think of a much better way for it to end as well. I think it kind of suits the malaise that the, the main character especially had. 
because um, he just kind of like seemed like this guy in one end he was driven but on the other he just seemed to be going through the motions as well and kind of stumbled onto this plot and you're just following him along um, throughout Los Angeles and all these different kind of things are going on I don't want to give away too much because that takes right. away the fun of the movie but yeah look it, it is uh, incredibly um, I think it's an incredibly entertaining film definitely a very interesting movie um, and I could see those what you're talking about with David Lynch and Richard Kelly kind of thrown in there Kind of like, but to me, I I, I keep, I keep to me, I, I think about those kind of old school LA based film noir movies as well, or neo noir films as well, um, that kind of came came out. Um, even a little bit of like Big Lebowski is kind of thrown in there as well. I think considering that uh, Andrew Garfield's character is kind of like this uh, uh, stoner uh, kind like of like yeah. So um, yeah, it's, it's a really good pick actually because. I'm thinking the states it went straight to DVD or Blu-ray. Didn't they get a cinema release in, in here in Australia? Um, uh, like you said in Sydney, especially uh, just the one cinema. So I think you and I are both pretty much recommending that everyone uh, watch this film because I I enjoyed it as well. That's a really good pick, Shane. Well, I noticed it lasted two weeks. Uh, the first week there was about four sessions a day, and then it went down to one session a day mm. in its second week. And it, it is a long movie. When I say long, it's uh, just under two and a half hours, which isn't too too bad. But it uh, yeah, it's just one movie that came out of the blue, and I'm glad I made the effort to to go and see it because I didn't go to a media screening for it. I just went to a public screening, and there was probably only a handful of people in there with me. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely a niche kind of film, and I think the people who knew about it knew about the filmmaker. Yeah. Um, they probably know about Andrew Garfield. Maybe he's, he's starring in it as well. <coughs> Wasn't a film that got a lot of marketing, of, um, of course not. And we know about it, of course, because this is what we do when, you know, we know pretty much any film that's coming out. So uh, that was a really good pick. I really appreciated you bringing that up because um, for some reason I didn't have it on my list, and I'm really happy that you did bring it up because I liked it quite a bit as well. That's um, why I'm here, Matt. <laughs> so so um, I'm going to have my final pick for best movie and my favourite film of the year so far. And I think it could be um, still at the top of the list by the end of the year, and that's Parasite. Uh, it's the latest film from um, South Korean director Bong Joon-ho. Um, it was the winner of the um, uh, Cine Film Festival uh, Best Feature Award as well. And um, it came out a couple of weeks ago via Madman Films. It did really good, uh, great at the Cannes Film Festival. And this is a film that, in it, in its core, it talks about the class system in South Korea. It's a, this very kind of rigid, kind of hier, uh, hierarchical kind of uh, class system that that country has. But it's also a film that has much relevance for people outside of that country as well. Um, so the, the movie stars Song Kang Ho. Um, he's a longtime leading man for Bong Joon Ho. He's film, in films like um, The Host, for example, and uh, Snowpiercer. And um, pretty much, he plays the the father of this lower class family that infiltrates an upper-class wealthy family um, and while on the outside looking in their lavish perfect veneer lives is something to really um, inspire to as they kind of embed themselves within this family to find something much deep uh, much darker and sinister underneath that shiny veneer and I don't want to give away too much as to what that is because it really does take away from the enjoyment of watching this movie um, and one I think what's so great about this film is that it just seamlessly kind of sways from one thing to another it's, at first it starts as a grifter movie it's also a family drama it has that kind of uh, social commentary to it but it's also this great thriller as well 
well. There are moments in this film that just really stunned me. Um, there are performances in this film that I think are going to stay with me for, for the rest of the year. It's an incredibly entertaining movie. It's a moving film, and it's in- illuminating as well. The combination yeah. of all these things I thought was just terrific. I didn't get a chance to see it at the Sydney Film Festival because... The movie was uh, going to be released after the festival's conclusions anyway. I did see it at a media screening. I think every single person was quick to the screen. Um, And I just can't wait to see it again. So far, it's my favorite film of the year. And I think it has potential for definitely a foreign foreign film Oscar. Um, Not having seen some other films that have been released so far this year, I haven't been up with the... uh, uh, international foreign film festivals of, of late, um, but I, I I can't foresee any other film knocking it off its perch in regards to that award, and hopefully there could be enough kind of love from some members of the academy, which has gone actually younger. They've been they they've had a few more uh, people um, join the uh, the academy now. Among them, uh, uh, Spider Man star Tom Holland. Um, hopefully these younger guys can talk about films like this and they can get some type of due praise because so far it's the best film I've seen uh, this year. Um, Shane, have you seen Parasiters yet? No, I unfortunately <laughs> haven't. I didn't get to see it at the Sydney Film Festival. I haven't been able to get to a screening of it. Uh, however, you and a couple of other of our fellow film critics around have said exactly the same thing as you just said, not, not to be missed. Go into it knowing as little as you can. Be prepared to sort of get uh, a little bit of um, some gory scenes. So there's some confronting moments in it. Yes. But it is a brilliant film that probably is worthy of Oscars. So you've just heightened my interest for it again. I have not been able to catch it, unfortunately, just yet. If If you get the chance, I recommend you do. And for anyone else listening, if you haven't seen it, Please do so because it's a terrific film. Shane, you have any other mentions for best film before we move on to the worst films of the of the, of the year so far? Yeah, I, I've got one here that's probably not going to be uh, happy by too no, too many are going to be happy with, but it's it's something that I liked a lot. So this is a lot of a personal choice. It's called Brightburn. I love Brightburn. Uh, yes, mm-hmm. I I loved it. I love the concept, and I think because I am not the biggest superhero aficionado as regular listeners and people who have heard our comments before might already know I do love the I do like the films but I'm not obsessed with Marvel and DC and so forth however Brightburn's sort of like an anti-superhero coming of age story Mm -hmm. and the way it was made on such a low budget the sound effects the music the the acting not the greatest but honestly it was effective and the the little things you don't see are the things that really made this thing work for me. And uh, it, it had me going. It had me really in, involved in what was going to happen next. Uh, Elizabeth Banks was, was terrific as the mum. But I loved Brightburn. I, I, it was a shame that very, very few people went and saw it. Yeah, I liked it as well. I, I think that film has the potential to go to do really well on streaming and uh, and on home entertainment because um it's it's like you said it's a movie that not many people saw at the cinemas which is a shame because um like, like as you as you mentioned superhero movies is very much the thing right now and this is kind of like 
takes on those superhero movie tropes but flips it on its head especially in regards to the superman story um yeah. and i think it's like it was really well done i mean it could have been novelty for novelty sakes and not do much with it but i thought that the performances were really good i thought that director david yaraveski did a great work with it i mean this is a it is in the film that it can be easy to watch at times it can be kind of rather horrific um in some of its moments because it's a blend of superhero and horror um, and it kind of brings those things together. Uh, and I think it was really well done. So that's a really good uh, pick there, Shane. Um, yeah, yeah. Thank you. Because a lot, a lot of people don't know what it is. And I hope it does get a bit of rediscovery on uh, Blu-ray or streaming services. Because uh, as you were aware, and as with lots of movies, you can see that they have other stories to tell. And a sequel or, you know, different angles they, they could go with the movie. So hopefully uh, it becomes successful. I hope so too, because I'd, I'd love to see a sequel. Um, let's talk about the worst films now, and I'm going to start with a recent uh, release, and that is Annabelle Comes Home. Now, this is, the, I believe, the seventh entry in the Conjuring uh, universe. Um, so this is directed by Gary Dalberman. Now, he wrote several uh, movies of, of Conjuring spin-offs, including The Nun and the first two Annabelle films. And it pretty much is set within the house of Ed and Lorraine Warren. That's played by Patrick Wilson and Vera Farmiga. And, of course, it has to do with that creepy doll, Annabelle. Um, look, I am hit and miss when it comes to the Conjuring uh, series. Um, I thought that the first movie especially was the best one. It had a really kind of cool retro vibe to it. It's kind of like a mix of Amityville Horror and The Exorcist, um, but you, but with modern technologies and sound design, which could bring some really cool things to it. But this seventh film in particular, I felt is just too restricted by the formula, like that jump scare formula that these films have right now. It was too focused on, on establishing side characters rather than trying to make a really good horror movie. Um, and I think especially that side characters thing just didn't do anything for me. It's one thing to introduce... If you're doing world building, introducing a character here or there, it's another thing for essentially making what feel like to me an extended trailer for what the future coming attractions of what the Conjuring universe might look like. It just takes away from the story at hand, which in and of itself was just incredibly frustrating to watch. You have some characters... Look, it's the horror genre has characters that do stupid things. It's what they do. They don't turn on the lights when they go in a room. They walk outside to investigate a sound when they're not supposed to and for some reason sometimes they hardly have any clothes on it just happens but uh in this movie they do some really incredibly frustrating things that to me just went beyond the plausibility of the genres um uh, genre tropes and that was just incredibly frustrating mixed that with the the formula which has become so uh watered down by now and also the whole thing with trying to establish future uh, movies it just didn't work for me um, which is a shame because like I said that first Conjuring movie I liked but you know as it goes with many things in the horror genre six or seven sequels in um, the films just dip in quality and to me this is one of the worst ones of this uh, from this universe I've seen so far <laughs> well I liked it I do agree with you that they try too much at the end introducing these new things that they will probably want spin-offs from like they did with The Nun previously. Mm. Uh, I, I, when I say I liked it, Matt, I, I am a bit of a fan of The Conjuring films as a whole and uh, 
Lorraine Warren as a character, as played by Vera Farmiga, she's very good, very good, but not in it a lot of this in this one, of course. No. I actually didn't mind it. I thought it was pretty good. And it was all set in one spot. But, yeah, it goes through all the traits that you, you said, and nothing much changes when it comes to these Conjuring films. Uh, McKenna Grace, who played young Judy Warren in it, um, she was the, the daughter of Ed and Lorraine. You know, there were things about it I liked, and I, I, I just didn't mind it. So as, as much as I don't think it was one of the best films of the year, I certainly wasn't too disappointed by it, because I know what I'm going to get these days when it comes to a Conjuring film, I think. And Annabelle, they can't squeeze much more life out of this doll, I don't think. No, I think three films in and a doll has had its fair share because it doesn't really have anything to do with the doll. The doll's there is kind of like a, a kind of like a magnet for spirits, but the doll itself doesn't really do much, which is like a really weird thing. At least with the Chucky movies, the doll moves around and it talks, and you know, in the originals you had Brad Dillard doing all these kind of like really bad jokes and such, but in this case, it doesn't. Yeah, it doesn't do much. Uh, to me. Like, I walk into a Conjuring film and I also have an, an expectation of what's going to happen on screen. And, like, the previous film to, to this, which was The Curse of the Weeping Woman, I was kind of, like, opposite with a lot of people. I rather liked that one. And I think the reason why I liked that film as opposed to what Annabelle had is that Curse of the Weeping Woman had a kind of, like, a different twist to it. They're talking about a different type of uh, spirit. There was a kind of cultural aspect to it that was different to the other kind of um, films that we saw beforehand. Um, so once in a while, one of these Conjuring movies comes up that I do like. The second Annabelle film um, was actually pretty good. Um, I rather like that one as well. Um, but this one just didn't do it for me, which is a shame because, like I said, that first movie was so good. I was a big fan of it. Um, but but I think that the um, it, the universe has been way just stretched too way too thin, and hopefully, with if they are going to do future films with some of these characters, they do something a little different with it because the formula for myself just isn't uh, working for me. Let's move on for your pick, Shane. What's your first pick for worst movie of 2019 so far? Uh, well, you know, I don't know what I was expecting because I didn't think it was going to be comic gold. And uh, Dirty Rotten Scoundrels is definitely one of the, my favourite retro films. And uh, The Hustle yep. with Rebel Wilson. Yeah, that's one of my uh, picks as well. It was very, very unfortunate. It mm -hmm. was unfunny. It was grating. And I just could not believe what I was seeing and hearing. It, it was just a mess and not funny at all. It was, it was terrible. I, that's one of my picks too. I know exactly what you're saying. Dirty Run Scoundrel is also a favourite of mine, that film, of course, starring Steve Martin and Michael Caine. And I think if you're going to try to remake a film that has stars like that, they bring really their charisma and their talent to the screen and they do something really great with it, you really need to lift up your game. And Anne Hathaway and Rebel Wilson just did not do that. Um, and there's also a thing where I think they took their mission statement a little too literal, literally it's one thing to make a remake, but it's another one to have really kind of slavish adherence to the material. I mean, there were moments in The Hustle where it seemed like they took like specific parts of dialogue from the movie they were remaking and, and placed it in their own film. Um, if you're going to make do a remake, do something with it that's a little more original and that's yours. Bring your own personality to it. That's what I say. And Hathaway just didn't do anything for me. She had kind of like this range of accents in the movie that came off incredibly clumsy. And Rebel Wilson, look, God bless her. She tries really hard. She's She really has come a long way from her days on Fat Pizza. But 
her shtick is really getting old. The whole kind of self-depreciating humor and what she brings to the table, it just it just, just isn't funny anymore. It just doesn't no, do no. it anymore. And I'll, I'll say it, it's fat jokes. Yeah. It's, it's jokes that uh, basically rely on her weight and visuals of how big she is. Yeah. And sure, I've got nothing against Rebel Wilson. I think she's actually talented. Yeah. She's got some, you know, very good comic timing, but... It could have been just the writing, although I think at times both Anne Hathaway and Rebel Wilson would have been ad-libbing mm. and going off the cuff at times as the camera rolls. But, yeah, Rebel's uh, shtick, as you say, is getting kind of old. And Melissa McCarthy was very, very similar in many of her movies, but she's sort of drifting out of that. I haven't seen one of those comedies from her for, I guess, Life of the Party, so it was about a year ago or whatever, but... Still, uh, Rebel Wilson is a talent. I'm not knocking her. Anne Hathaway's absolutely gorgeous. But you're right, she does those accents, including an Australian accent in it. Right. <laughs> the movie itself was so grating. And <coughs> are they hard? You mean, it was a remake, but it was really not a referential. They didn't reference the, the original film hardly at all, other than a couple of small details, including the house, the location. Um, I think also that... If anyone is even remotely interested in watching it, just watch the trailer because all the best jokes are in there as well. There are no good jokes in it, mate, <laughs> at, at all. <laughs> so, yeah, watch the trailer. Save 90 minutes of your life. Yeah, yeah, 100%. Um, I'm going to move on to my next pick now. It's going to be another horror movie, and this is the remake of Pet Cemetery. Um, this is a film directed by Kevin Kolsch and David Widmeyer. They did a film called Starry Eyes that came out a few years ago, which was kind of like a indie horror film that really put them on the map. Um, Pet Cemetery, I think, for a lot of people, has a certain kind of nostalgia aspect to it. There was a um, movie adaptation released back in 1989, um, thick within like kind of like the era of VHS, when a lot of people were hiring videos from you know your blockbusters and video easies and civic videos for and a lot of people remembered that film specifically and i rather liked it. it was to me it's one of the better stephen king adaptations but this um uh new adaptation i think was just really a, a shallow deep exercise in terror um yeah. there's no real depth to the family dramatics and i think that was something that was really missing from this film Stephen King, what he does quite a bit with his movies, um, with his characters, he takes families and he tears them apart in really kind of grisly and dramatic ways. Uh, and that's where he gets a lot of depth and a lot of kind of horror from because these are intimate settings um, with relatable uh, people. Uh, and in this case, it just didn't work for me. Um, a lot of the moments, like the moments that are supposed to be uh, horrific, were really kind of silly in my, in, my, in, in uh, I thought. Kind of, I, there were moments in the film where I was just rolling my eyes and just how ridiculous a lot of it kind of came across. Um, yep. And it's a movie that deals with grief, and if you're going to have grief as the key emotion, you have to dig deeper and really kind of establish some really dramatic stakes there. It tries, but it fails. Um, you have a cast that's involved, like John Lithgow, um, uh, Jason Clark, fine actors just didn't do nothing for me in this movie. And the look of the film as well, a little too shiny, a little too glossy. I mean, a film like this, I think, with that story and what the the, the things they deal with, you've got to get gritty, you've got to get underneath, you've got to, you know, I want to, you know, if I can use kind of like a... Uh, uh, 
uh, I'm, I'm just blanking out here. You gotta dig with your hands and get the grip under your fingernails. It's that type of movie. It has to hit you in the gut, and it just didn't do that. Um, it came across as a kind of like a B-grade version of a Stephen King adaptation, and um, yeah, it just it didn't do anything for me at all. No, it, it, it's on my list too, uh, and I I don't think the 1989 original was was a perfect film by any means, but it was good yep. and. Revisiting it, it was quite a gruesome film. This one, oh, I don't know, it has had potential. There was a lot they could do with it. Um, but no, you're right, it, it fell too flat. Uh, Jason Clark was not too bad. He was okay in it. The, some of the acting wasn't fabulous, I guess is the word, but uh, it, it had its moments. And there were scenes that you saw in the trailer and at the start of the movie where these kids were all walking in a line with like, the masks on and everything... It's like five minutes of the movie. We needed more of that kind of mystery than what we got. Uh, yeah, n- not great at all, and I don't really like how they tweaked the original in the book, so it was very disappointing and was also on my list. Um, since, that is both on, since that movie was on both our lists, how about I go with my next pick here, and I have a feeling yes. this one might be on your list too. I'm not sure if you saw it or not, though, because a lot of people didn't. It went straight to DVD and Blu-ray here in Australia. It's a film called Serenity, and this is a film directed... <laughs> it's on my list. Oh, there we go. I thought it would be. So it's written and directed by Stephen Knight. Now, he's a filmmaker usually I have time for. I'm a big fan of his film Lock that had um, Tom Hardy in it. Um, he also wrote Eastern Promises and a bunch of other good screenplays as well. But this film, he should have just left this one on the trash heap because it just doesn't work whatsoever. Um, it stars Matthew McConaughey and Anne Hathaway. Essentially, it's like a film noir, neo-noir. I guess in a sort of way how we were talking about um, Under the Silver Lake, there's kind of similarities there and kind of like in the in, a, in that it's kind of like a throwback to kind of some of those films from the 30s and 40s that has to do with... Uh, well, got, it tried to It be. tried to. You've got a femme fatale. You've got uh, Matthew McConaughey's scum character who's a fisherman um, who's this kind of like... Uh, a fisherman obsessed with getting this big tuna for some reason. Um, and then his wife from a different life, played by Anne Hathaway, approaches him. Um, Jason Clark, we're making another mention of him again. Unfortunately, he's in uh, this film. He plays the uh, the uh, abusive husband to Anne Hathaway. She comes with him with a very kind of classic uh, film noir scenario. You know, you kill my husband, I'll pay you a lot of money kind of thing. And I think if it's stuck being just a traditional film noir kind of movie it could have come across as kind of like a b-grade trashy kind of late night movie that people would would get something out of it but unfortunately for all of us Stephen Knight decided to do something with this film which I'm not going to say what it is because uh we're not going to do spoilers here but it's just batshit crazy the, the, the direction that this movie went in I had no idea look actually I think I called it within half an hour but I said it in a kind of like a joking kind of way um to, to my wife who I, was, who I was watching it with um but to see that my prediction came true just absolutely astonished me number one with look I'm not going to say lack of originality because it's rather original, but um, but just really bad originality. It was unique, but there's unique where it can be really creative and take you to different places, but there's also unique where it just kind of like makes you dizzy just how stupefying it can it can get. And this is a film that definitely goes in that direction. Um, I think it's really unfortunate that both McConaughey and Hathaway decided to sign up for this. Supposedly, 
um, they were very upset with the distributors of this film in the States because they went out to all the different talk shows. They went on, on you know, all the different radio programs that did the junkets to try to sell this film. But the film just was not testing well with audiences. So the distributor took its marketing budget no way back. There. Yeah, they took it way back. So if that isn't a hint and a half for those two actors as the quality of their film, I don't know what is. Um, and, and when it comes to Stephen Knight, I, I think I'm going to have to stop trying to give his films a chance now because this is just a film that just that a really sour taste in, in, in my mouth after watching it. It just it was not good in any way. Um, and I, I really do think that any uh, actors who decide to sign up with his films in the future need to really, really have a hard think about it because McConaughey and Hathaway, um, I think, were enamored with his previous work as well. I think they thought they had a unique and interesting script in front of them. And let's face it, not a lot of those things come around in Hollywood um, and, and they could tr- do something cool with it. But this is the way that the opposite of all of that. And I, I think is one of the worst movies of the year so far. Yeah. I can't add too much, too much more to what you just said. It, it, I had it on my list and I've got it underlined and written next to it. What the hell? Yeah. Big, big what the hell? Exactly. Instantly yeah. notorious. This one was Yeah, it, it, because of the subject and, and where it goes, what direction it goes. I mean, there are things in this. I'm thinking what, why is that in there? What is happening here? Is this supposed to be a fantasy? Is it supposed to be real? Is it supposed to be a drama or a romance? You know, I, it was so confusing and so badly done. The, the actors, it's a very, very low point for all of them. Uh, and, and even when there's a town in it that he goes through, and everyone in it kind of reminded me, hang on, is this like Twin Peaks or mm. something? You know, it is, something was off yeah. with everyone, but then... You know, the story progresses, but uh, just instantly, notoriously bad and worth watching because of that. It's absurd. Yeah, I think it's the type of movie that a lot of people might watch in a few years from now um, as maybe kind of like a trash classic. Um, <laughs> Have a drinking game or something because yeah. it's one of those movies that's that bad, you'll get a laugh out of it. Exactly. comedy. Exactly, it has that kind of potential. Like maybe every single time someone mentions the word tuna, they take a shot and then they'll, <laughs> they'll be drunk by like halfway through the film. Um, yeah, it's just, it, it's just a really incredibly disappointing movie uh, and also just incredibly badly made one. It's, it's, it almost feels like I was, I was watching a prank. I, I felt like, like Matthew McConaughey and Hathaway were going to walk into the room and say, you know, gotcha, but it, it didn't happen. No. It was just, yeah, terrible, terrible film. I think you and I are at, because uh, we both had Pet Cemetery and Serenity on our list, we have one pick each. Um, how about you go ahead and go with your final pick, Shane? Uh, my next bad film would have to be Godzilla. Uh-huh. I kind of really wanted King of the Monsters <laughs> to be something fantastic. Uh, however, it wasn't. Uh, and I actually got set, sat through it a second time just to make sure it wasn't just me and I wasn't tired. Um, it is. It, it's the monster itself is fine, and there's a lot happening in it. If you're a Godzilla fanatic and obsessed with uh, Gajira, so that's a good thing because I know a lot of purists see, have seen a lot of homages in it. But overall, I was very disappointed, and mostly because there was no plot. Hmm. The plot in it was so thin, and I could not get in- invested in the action and what was going on because of that and I know it's a big dumb blockbuster and it's 
meant to be, you don't have to think, just go in and enjoy it. It's a popcorn movie, but I couldn't couldn't even do that. M- Millie Bobby Brown was a bit of a saving grace in it. She did what she could with a very, very uh, a limited characterization, but uh, very disappointed in this new Godzilla, King of the Monsters. I didn't mind it. I liked the action scenes. I thought that like when the monsters are on screen and they're doing their thing, that's when the film had life. The problem I have with these big kind of giant monster movies or, or whatever is they try really hard to make these plot points for the human characters and it just goes nowhere. It's just distracting. The plot and the story was just... I couldn't invest in the action because I was just... I couldn't follow what was supposed to be going on with environmental stuff and then yeah. Vera Farmiga's character, yeah. why she sort of double-crosses without giving away too many spoilers, you know? I just could not get invested in any of that, so it ruined any of the action sequences for me of the creature feature that it was supposed to be. And I think in the future with films like this, if they just get rid of any human characters and just let the monsters go at it, just make it a 70-minute film of big monsters beating the shit out of each other. That's it. Have huge effects, huge score, just do it that way. I think you have a good film. Um, I don't think you need all this other stuff. Um, granted, the first Godzilla movie when it came out, it was like like a commentary on on, on nuclear war and, and and all that kind of stuff. And, and fair enough to it, but all this other stuff is just distraction. It's kind of it's it's you know it and it does nothing. It brings nothing to the table whatsoever. Um, so hopefully in the future, and supposedly there's going to be a Godzilla versus King Kong movie. Just That's have Godzilla, for, yeah. Godzilla, King Kong, have them go at it. No dialogue, huge score, special effects galore. Just do that, and I think that's all you need to do. Because anything else, you don't need. Please. You don't need like characters running around at the base of their feet, going on about some type of uh, first world problem uh, plot points. You don't need that. Um, No one cares about that stuff. No, and it was just uh, it was ridiculous the the way that they were trying to the, the the reasoning behind. Vera Farmiga's character, what she does. Um, and there's Kyle Chandler, who's mm. a, a pretty good, strong, you'd, want to, you'd agree, I'd say, actor, but he's given some embarrassing lines to say here, and he delivers them good, but they are just, what he's saying, I couldn't believe he was saying it. Yeah. And then there's comic relief with a couple of characters, and that was just terrible comic relief in, in the situations that they're supposed to be in. Uh, so I was just didn't like it. And like I said, I... I went for it a second time just to make sure and I didn't come out of it any more happier. Um, my final pick, and I know we're going to have to go soon, so I'll, I'll wrap this up after this one. My final pick and my worst movie of the year so far is X-Men Dark Phoenix. Um, so this is really disappointing for me because when those X-Men films first were first released, the Brian Singer directed ones, um, they were actually great, um, like game changers in the genre. Back then, there was no... Marvel Studios and like yeah, Captain America, Iron Man. These are the films that set the tone for those movies to go ahead and do what they did. Um, and there were films that had something to say. They were talking about the disenfranchised. Um, Brian Singer himself being a gay man, he brought a lot of that to the table as well. Um, so I think what happened here was that I, I know there were a lot of reshoots and a lot of kind of problems going on. 
with uh, um, the, the tone of the movie and such. And the guy who directed, produced, and wrote this was Simon Kinberg, and he was involved with a lot of different properties at um, uh, at 20th Century Fox who were dealing with, had a lot of these Marvel titles. One of them was the Fantastic Four movie, the recent one that came out. Uh, and that was a movie that is very similar to what X-Men Dark Phoenix was. It was incredibly boring. It was filled with uh, wooden performances. It lacked spirit. It had no stakes. Um, and it, it was just a really kind of weird, uh, weird movie to watch because great there are great actors in this film and they give really bad performances. I think it's the worst yeah. performances I've seen from Jennifer Lawrence, Michael Fassbender, James McAvoy. I'm not a Game of Thrones fan, so I haven't seen a lot of Sophie Turner. The only thing I've seen her in is as Jean Grey in these X-Men movies. And I just don't see the appeal whatsoever. I thought she was incredibly wooden. And I think that has probably more to do with the character more than anything else. Um, Jessica Chastain as the lean villain, another really great actress, terrible in this movie. I mean, I think the whole enterprise of this film was so extraordinarily vanilla, so dull and so boring that I just could not invest in it any way whatsoever. I mean... This reminds me of the superhero movies, the bad superhero movies we had to go through before the superhero genre kind of finally found its uh, found its groove. Oh, come and on, it's better than we had. <laughs> I think it's just as bad as Fantastic Four. The TV oh, really? Yeah, I'm, this film for me, um, as when it comes to to bad superhero movies, this is some of the the worst I, I've seen. And like I said, it really is a shame because. The X-Men films were really good when they first came out. And I even liked when they kind of rebooted it and did the prequels. I thought that McAvoy and Fassbender really brought stuff into those characters of um, yeah. Charles Xavier and uh, Magneto. And yeah, this film just doesn't just... It, to me, it really represents a final nail in a franchise. They've been really weighed down by poor filmmaking of late. And considering that 20th Century Fox has sold off its properties to Marvel now and Marvel are supposedly going to reboot this series again as to when, I don't know. I think it comes at really good timing because this franchise, if, they need, if it's going to be continued, it really needs to be saved um, because this film is just, uh, just really kind of a big F in regards to its filmmaking in regards to its franchise possibilities and just as, as i said before its comparisons my comparison fantastic four i think creatively um and also just filmmaking wise it's very much it's similar to but all i'll say is that uh <laughs> I, I i agree good actors acting very very ordinarily um however i think x-men have really run their course when it comes to cinema I don't know about if they're going to join forces with other Marvel characters, maybe. I know Deadpool obviously has a little bit of X-Men stuff happening in his films. Mm. But uh, the movie, I didn't think was that bad. It's not on my worst list. Uh, I know there was a lot of behind-the-scenes problems with it and so forth. Uh, and it's better than Hellboy. I, I personally think it's better than Hellboy. See, I actually tweeted earlier today that I actually found Hellboy one of the most underrated movies of the year. It's not good, but I had way more fun than Hellboy than I did with uh, Dark Phoenix. Maybe it just oh, has to I do... Don't uh, maybe, I don't know why. Maybe it just uh, has to do with maybe my uh, lack of familiarity with Hell, the Hellboy character. So I kind of came in there looking at it with more fresh eyes than I did the X-Men films. X-Men films, to me, had a certain expectation to it. 
considering where it came from and the highs that it can achieve with X-Men 2 and Logan. Um, but this film, just, it just I, I just found it to be really boring, really dull, bad filmmaking, bad acting. And if this is the last X-Men movie, then, then so be it. Because I don't think... On the current course that it's at, I don't think I don't think anything could really save it. Supposedly, there's another X Men film still to be released um, called New Mutants, and, and that's also been uh, placed on the uh, 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 on the um, uh, reshooting uh, re block as well. Um, I'm not sure when that's coming out, and that's uh, that's a movie of some contention as well because even the cast, certain members of the cast, I mean, ask about New Mutants on red carpets and they don't even know what's going on with that movie so i have a feeling that 20th century fox maybe might be holding it for maybe a dvd release or something because uh yeah this in the movie didn't, didn't even do any well any good at the box office as well and um people do have a uh a, a taste for superhero movies at the moment i mean we, we've just seen what spider-man and in avengers have done uh box office wise people do want to watch these films but i think x-men uh as a, as a franchise it's done um, I, I can't see it doing anything. It needs to take a break for a few years, let it be resurrected with new actors, new filmmakers, um, Disney behind it with all their marketing and their, and their, and their resources, and then and, and come at it again. Because um, Dark Phoenix just does not do it for me whatsoever. <coughs> yeah, New Mutants has been gestating for such a long time now. Uh, you know, it... it I'm not sure why it hasn't been released. As you say, it's getting reshoots and it's just been rescheduled over and over again. And the, and the failure of the, this latest X-Men film isn't going to help no. anything, you know, help this one to get more uh, of people wanting to see it either. And Anya Taylor-Joy, she's in it, who I highly respect as one of, one of the great young actresses mm. around at the moment. But... Uh, be that as it may, I'll go see it and judge judge then. But it has had a lot of uh, talk of problems on and off set. It has. Um, Shane, I think we need to leave it there. I know you need to go. Um, we've been at it now for a little bit over an hour. Um, I know we didn't get to talk. We talked a little bit in regards to Oscar possibilities for some of these films. I think we need to do another podcast again down the line uh, to start talking about uh, the, what's going to be happening with the Oscars because we're into the swing of the second half of 2019, getting closer to Oscar season as we as it is. So I think we should get in touch again and uh, start looking at some potential uh, Oscars uh, films in the future. What do you say to that? Yeah, yeah, I think so because I've only got a couple up my sleeve that I would have mentioned at this point. But if we leave it another month, we might uh, might have a few more we can talk about because certainly uh, the awards season, it's a little bit early yet, but it's not far away before things start rolling out into the theatres that you know have potential. So looking forward to our next chat, Matt. Likewise. Shane, where can people find you online? Uh, as always, if you're interested in reading any of my interviews, red carpet pictures and so forth, uh, I have... Twitter and Instagram and both handles are at Movie Analyst. So that's at Movie underscore Analyst. Shane, I thank you very much for joining me today and I hopefully I'll see you at another screening in the future. You're a good man. Thanks for having me, Matt. Bye for now. Bye.